0: The one I
1: have Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Up Emo Podcast. I am Tom Mullen from Washtep Emo.com and this is the podcast where we celebrate Emo's full history. Today we have Chris Leo. His high school band was called Native Nod, and they are often referenced as one of the originators of Screamo. Then he went on to form the Van Pelt that is well loved and should be mentioned a hell of a lot more than they are when you talk about the history of Emo. The Van Pelt have some reunion shows coming up, and it was high time to have Chris on to chat. I even went to New Jersey for this. This is episode 105 of the Wash Your Be podcast with Chris Leo from Native Nod and The Van Pelt. Chris Leo, on the podcast, Jersey City. <laughs> we're in your we're in your Thank backyard. You. Look at this. Who would have thought? Well, no one can see it, but
2: uh, it looks beautiful back here. Thank you. Born in Jersey, right? Born and bred. I wouldn't. I most people that come back to tackle it were born here, unless they have a significant other that was born here, because it would really takes kind of a crazy person that has no ties to jersey to think hey why don't i move to new jersey when there's 49 other, <laughs> nine other states that you could possibly choose you know yes. what years were you
1: growing up this was like early 80s or even so, 70s yeah well i
2: have i, I was born in 74 so i consider myself a kid of the 80s you know um and then i had my first band probably in Eighty nine, ninety, and then for you finding out about records was
1: it ted bringing home like a record or was it were you like when did when did that all start because it's like you had such amazing access to the city yeah new york city sorry yes uh,
2: had, it was always in, you could see it from you could where see we're from.
1: it yeah but then having the luxury of being in a suburb and yes. having more space more time more you know obviously those like that's why i feel like the long island new jersey kind of even connecticut kind of bands had the kind of time to like cultivate yes and scenes could cultivate
2: right so right. How, what
1: were some of those first like records or things that you latched on to so
2: it, it was it was a combination growing up of like my older brother um influencing me the way an older brother would which is listen to this now or you're dead you know that style and then as also kind of um convergent evolutions where i would just we would happen to just f- fall into the same um uh thread of music like for example when i was there's a the picture i can remember I, I was probably like one and my brother had just gotten a record player and he's making me listen to the star wars soundtrack and it's a pretty weird soundtrack there's no yeah. songs on it you know it's like just like s- sounds of like space and things and so there was that growing up where he'd be like listen to this like i remember one time i think it was probably like 89 when i was in my room and he like opened the door and he threw me a vision seven inch and maybe probably a Gorilla Biscuit bis- 7-inch bis- and, like, some other hardcore series. Like, listen to this! And then he closed the door and, like, disappears, you know? And then I listened to it, and I, <laughs> I loved it, you know? But then there were other times where, um, uh, like, for example, there was 120 Minutes on, M- on MTV. Remember that? Yes. So in the late 80s, um, we would have our parents uh, uh, tape it, VHS it, because it would be on too late for us. And then we would each watch it at different times um, after school, and we we got into different bands that were still kind of in the same world. You know, maybe he was more influenced by, by the clash. Whereas I was more into wire, like late era wire, things like that. So it's still kind of the same world, but like slightly different takes on things.
1: How did, how did, how did um, Ted find, was it like, was his, was there someone else telling him or what was the, I mean, it's interesting to have two kind of, usually if it's brothers or something, you kind of go opposite. You're like, whatever you're into, I'm going the opposite way, but he, like, what were some things you feel like? Was there, like, someone at school that he was getting in touch with? Or, cause I no. love how it kind of, like, channels. No,
2: okay, no. He's just a natural, um, he's just naturally tapped into music. He always has been. He's got this kind of, he's part of the, the uber conscious of music. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't seem like he has to work to, figure out who's making good music somewhere on the planet. And he knew he had to tr- he had to get you on board. And he had to get a, me and my little brother on board. We tried with our, I have a sister too. She was she wasn't having it. Um <laughs> but also my parents um you know, growing up basically like second generation immigrants, they were forced to be um you know, per pursue the the white picket fence kind of stable Mm -hmm. life for their for their family and therefore for us they wanted to really promote culture they they i guess they had maybe i don't don't know if it was insecurity or they just wanted us to be um uh have more access to culture than they had more focused on culture than just um business you know um and so they 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 made us i mean they sat me down on a piano for piano lessons when i was four wow yeah so i've been playing music forever um so there was already this culture in our house of music uh so we were going to make music by hook or by crook um but ted definitely you know definitely big brother wise left us no choice you know
1: did you know uh, so you started piano early when Mm -hmm. when did it kind of switch to other instruments and when did you sort of be like i want to do this band thing
2: okay so then the next instrument was um was trombone i was i was uh i was sitting in my i was probably i was 11. And I was sitting in my, my school auditorium, and the, the band teacher was going through all the instruments in, that you could, you could sign up for. You know, there's clarinet, there's trumpet, there's trombone. And I remember when he was talking about trombone, he's like, Now, trombone is a very popular instrument. Everybody chooses trombone. Um, you know, you get to kind of make the sound of wah, 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 like a circus. And I chose, I was like, Cool, that's what I want to do. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I'll do the trombone. Of course. I didn't realize that it was a trick to get people to take trombone, because in fact, everybody takes trumpet you know and, and some other popular instruments and this is kind of the theme of my life like me trying to fit in and just making all the wrong choices you know <laughs> so I took trombone I loved it I played it um, all throughout high school I played it in the World Inferno Friendship Society remember them? yes actually I think they still exist I was on their first album um, I played it in some like quasi ska bands um, any ex- that's unfortunate <laughs> I am i People here. know. No, I'm a secret I'm a kind of a secret liker but again, having an older, Scar. having an older brother meant that I could, fortunately, I could never pursue my secret love of Scott because he would have ridiculed me. Thanks, Ted. So I'm still a little cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, to Ted, for that. one. <laughs> no, I just I always, always rib on Scott. It's yeah. just funny. No, I think I mean I think it's all outfit, <laughs> though. you know, there's a lot of reasons to rib on it. <laughs> but musically, I never hated it. You know,
1: anyhow. Um, trombone. You just, I mean, popular instrument. Trombone. You know what else has the smallest case for the bus? This
2: is true. Yes. <laughs> it's right in it. It you know, fits in the overhead. In. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, right under the seat. You're fine. You can fold it up, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I played it in Native Knot a little bit, too. Like, any way to work it in, I would work it in. Um, but then I switched to, I, I guess that somewhere along the line, I moved to bass. It seemed kind of like a simple thing to pick up. And again, like I didn't want to be—I didn't want to be like the star of the show. I wanted to be in a band, you know. Like bass seemed like a way, like I could be in a band and like nobody can see me and just be up there. Um, but I wasn't very good at it. I didn't really get the essence of what it means to be a bass player. Like, I think as like as a young kid listening to to very like angular um, guitar and vocal driven music, you don't really realize what a bass is all about you know you didn't know about being in the pocket no the pocket <laughs> there was no pocket you know it was all forward you know as fast as you can go so I would playing I, with the guitar yes. not the bass drum yeah right yeah no I didn't get it at all yeah um, so I wasn't good at it um, but I so I I eventually started tinkering with guitar by the time Native Nod was about to end which was the band before the Van Pelt I was playing a little bit guitar, of guitar even in the band never live but at practice and then when the van pelt started uh i was on bass, believe it or not Ah. and like we were just kind of um you know just in a practice space not knowing really what to do and no one was willing to step forward and at some point i was like all right why don't i i'll I'll just throw out a jam you know here's what i was was tinkering on guitar and so i fell into guitar that way Ah. but it was very reluctant multi-instrumental yeah so i've had a lot of
1: people mention native nod over the years Um, either as one, if you get a list of bands from that era or have spawned a genre, it's mentioned. Wow. Awesome. I don't know if you've ever heard that or people have kind of mentioned, like, definitely, you know, listening, if people listen to it and go back, it's like you can hear the forms of a lot of emo bands later that maybe took from the sort of chaotic or the loud soft. When you guys, when that's formed... What were records or things that you were listening to? Was it like Wire? Were you listening to them? Or like what things... Because it's fun. Like, quick side. I was interviewing... No, I was talking to Eric Richter from Christy Front Drive years before I had the podcast. Someone introduced us at a bar. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. I just was... I couldn't fucking believe it. Eric Richter from Christy Front Drive. What did you listen to, man? And I wanted him to tell me all these like super like records. He's like, Buffalo Tom.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which when you hear... Buffalo Tom, and then listen to Christy Front Drive. Yeah, you're like, total makes sense. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Native Nod. I don't. I think was one of those first few bands of that sort of loud, soft, scream, talk, chaotic, but also controlled. What were things that you were guys all connected on?
2: Okay, so so long question hopefully longer answer yeah yeah, i've been thinking about it for a long time i think i got this (laughs) Um, so when we started i'm new at this (laughs) when we started we were all listening mostly to grunge there was uh, it was the heyday of maxwell's in here in hoboken so and there was no you could go in under being underage for almost all the shows no way yeah you just they just stopped. put the x on yeah actually yeah the it was the x back then you're right um So we would go. I mean, I remember seeing Cody and Open for Smashing Pumpkins in a venue that holds less than two hundred people. You know, things like that. And they would just throw any sort of band together. You know, the the bills were were incredible. So I grew up there in a a very large way. And this was high school. This was high school. Yeah, and then somewhere, um, somewhere along the line, we discovered Discord. And I remember a friend of mine and when, once we discovered Discord then it, was, then it was over then it was like we were just ordering mail order Discord all the time D- mail order Discord mail order Sub Pop all the time even if we didn't know the band we're like wow some new you band Trust trusted that- the label yeah trust of the label yep and so my friend um, ordered the 7 Inch for this band called Rites of Spring and he listened to it and he's like hey i got that right to spring seven inch in the, the all through life seven inch and he's like i'm not into it
0: <laughs> i'm
2: like i'm like really that's crazy discord put out something discord put out a stinker hey bring it over we'll, we'll play some ping pong and listen to it and that that was it you know that that i would just you know press pause on my life right to spring and anything that came out of that um you know spring so to speak uh and that was, so that obviously that was a huge influence on Native Knot. Um, and, and through that, obviously, everything coming out of, on Gravity Records, um, uh, another, another benefit of having an older brother was we were still into punk. Even though we were going to all these grunge shows at, at Maxwell, we were still heavily into punk. And the option of going to the CB's matinee was not possible in the world of Ted Leo. You know, there was ABC No Rio. We were going to go to ABC. Being his brothers, we were going to ABC. We were not going to CBGB's, you know? Wow. And so that was a good call on his part, in my opinion. So via ABC, there, you know, other bands, uh, you know, Born Against was obviously one of the hugest bands that would, that would influence us. Um, and any infinite number of, of bands that played there that played one or two shows, you know, that were, you know, like, uh, like a band that comes to mind is the manacled. Do you remember that? No, they were like uh, there was this, this guy. Um, he was he had to be three four hundred pounds, and he would wear a tutu on stage. And I remember I remember one song. It was like fuck Jesus, wow, fuck him up the ass, fuck him real hard, like this sort of thing. You know, how old are you and, then? 16, uh, 17? 16, 17. Okay, yes, yeah, that's good. Lower that's East that's side. A, that's, you know? good. that's a good thing to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so k- kind of combine combine um, just the anything goes element of ABC No Rio. With, um, with, we wanted some, some of the guitar and musicality of what's happening in Seattle with the, the, the ethos of DC. And maybe that kind of gives the, you know, 100%. That's crystal clear. Primordial soup of Native Nod. Yeah.
1: Where did the, where did the tension part come in? Which I think is important to talk about. Like that's that moment of it could break at any moment. Um, and then also your vocals, like, were sort of that speak thing, which I think was different for a lot of people. And, and like we we were talking about earlier, you know, I think Karate did that. Jeff Freena did yeah. that. A couple, yeah. like, other bands did that. I'm not remembering, but
2: well, lots of Baltimore bands. So there's Moss Icon, yes, um, and uh, and um, any of the bands on Verm- Vermin Scum kind of lean that way. There was Slint. I don't know. I don't know if we had found Slint yet. We may or may not have. Um, but there was that sort of thing. There was also a lot of um, like no wave bands that did that. So there was so so having the benefit of of, of New York right here um, also always pulled us in a in a certain direction. Um, I mean I mean Kim Gordon did that. You know like lots of the the '80s early '90s Sonic Youth. She's just talking or or kind of just talking. There was a band called the Dust Devils hmm. who who were forgotten in, 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 this, in the scheme of things for some reason but Matador Records number two was a Dust Devils Records, for example and I loved them and it was this girl Jackie I, th- I think she was British or her husband was British or something but they were this cool like New York noise no wave band and she just did a lot of talking and it was chaotic and noisy and those things also really in- inspired us what other bands were you playing with with, with, with Native Nod at the time um, well there's Merrill. So there's the other bands that were on Gern at the time.
1: So yeah, Gern So I guess talk about that label a little bit, because obviously I know Ted was part of it for a little bit
2: with the Chisel. Was that, how did that come about? Um, okay, so I remember, so so just for the, I know you know this, but for the sake of anybody that doesn't, there was John Hiltz, who was a drummer born against, and he um, grew up in Westfield, New Jersey, and he lived in this kind of like, um, like, Peanuts house where there were never any parents around you know it was like you know wah 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 you know like it just the kids r- ran the show and he always had these these in, insane um, uh, shows at his house Hoover um, uh, uh, you know heroin I mean any anybody that was coming through this area at the time he would have played his house wow yeah and so we would go out there and again we were like the kids and how did you find out about it this is through my older brother yeah and and very like older brother brother like, you know, like sit back, listen and learn, you know. <laughs> learn the roots before we wear the boots style. So like I love him. The kids yeah, the kids would go and and we weren't really recognized, you know, very much. Though that being said, I think I met Neil, the drummer of the Van Pelt, at one of those shows. Ah. Yeah. Um, but um so yes, yeah, so we were going to these shows, we were listening and learning, you know, not speaking up. And the Born Against guys had their, had, had a vermiform and they put out a comp, um, fear of smell. It's one of the most amazing comps from, from that era. And they asked us to do a song on, on. Wow. Yeah. So, and that was, you know, that's it. That was huge. Yeah. We were, we were this was, you know, radio We are well on here. our way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget about it. Hold on. When's, we need to put a hold on MSG. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I was like, wow, what's going to go on now? Um, the guys from Gravity Records heard that comp and they asked us to do a 7-inch and now we're like, whoa. A 7-inch? Get it. Yeah, this is it. 7-inch yeah. on Gravity. Um, couldn't be any cooler. In high school. This is in high school still. Yeah. And... Uh, and then we hear that Charles from Rushack is starting label, and again, like being from New Jersey, you you have this chip on your shoulder. You can see New York, you know. You but know they're not listening. They're not listening. They want to have nothing to do with us. They, for, if for by New York standards, it'd be better if we were from Kansas or Kenya or you yeah know, or anywhere other <laughs> than New Jersey, you know. So. We were like, you know, this guy in New Jersey had this awesome band, Rorschach, and he's starting a label. Let's let's do this. Let's 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 try to do what Discord did with DC, and but do it in New Jersey. We got a ton of good bands. Maybe we can do this. So we went with Gern Blanston. Wow. Yeah. I
1: mean, again, that like you just saying that like we were on a comp, and then we had a seven inch. It's now just you know I'm gonna upload it to Bandcamp. But then right. there was, like, this process of, yeah. like, recording it. And I know that it's, it's awesome now and it's easier. I fucking get it. But that patience and the waiting and the, the, the hand-to-hand sort of combat that you had to do
2: right, felt right.
1: like there was more of an investment.
2: Absolutely, yeah. You needed to kind of be, you needed to be accepted, you know, which, which is a double-edged sword, you know. I mean, it is a performance, so you, you do want people to like you. Um, but they obviously lean maybe a little too heavily on that. Um, but, yeah, it felt good. It felt weird. You know? yeah. all but also, all of a sudden, we were accepted. So we were, we were the kids that were just supposed to sit back and listen and learn. And then we had the 7-inch that comes out, and it does really well. And all these, these uh, like, I know, probably looking back, these like, 21, 22-year-olds were, like, ancient at the time to me. Cool. Yeah. You know, they were had like, beards. Well, you guys, are, you guys are all right. You're cool. Why don't you play at ABC on this you know, mat- matinee? Um, wow yeah so yeah. then
1: again from how long that was uh, just in high school right for native nod you guys had like nine songs
2: i think in total right yes it it it, it bled into my freshman year of college because they were all younger than me so it was my it was my little brother who was just one year younger than me and then the guitar player and the bass player were two years younger than me so they were still in high school uh, into my freshman year and then we broke up where did you go to school nyu okay yeah oh wow so you kind of then you're right in the middle of it yes yeah I couldn't wait to get over there I mean at the time to, New York still seemed to me like the bastion of all things left you know and I was coming from uh, 13 years of Catholic school the last four of which were all um, all boys oh my god so I couldn't oh, wait hell, to yeah. be quote unquote with my people you know <laughs> ran of ran, ran, no more campus I couldn't go to campus school you know <laughs> had to go to NYU uh that was fun.
1: I mean, down there, you know, you've got, you've, you had Tower, you yeah. had a ton of stuff
2: in that little nook. We had... Um, there was Brownies a, wasn't too far. Nope. There was um, there was a record store also run, mostly run by Charles from Gurn called Reconstruction. It was on 6th Street between um, Bowery and 2nd. Oh, yeah. The punk record store... I think something like twenty or thirty people worked there and had keys to it. It was something that just simply Amazing. could not exist in New York at this point. Wow. I had keys, and if you didn't have the keys, there was a grate. You just climb climb over the grate and walk in and unlock the grate and open up shop. Um, and you didn't. It was all volunteer. Nobody got paid. Um, but yeah, sort of
1: like a, a, a the, the distro at the show at a event, at a yes at a place yes yep wow. So the so freshman
2: year, native nods done. Right, you're done. You Native Nods, kind of like, fin- yeah, finishing up. Um, we don't, we we can't handle our fame. <laughs> you know, like yeah, we we guys, got a couple we, seven inches yeah, out. Like, we're done. We're yeah, done. what are we gonna do? With we that? did ABC, no Rio. Yeah. We're done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. where's to go, guys? All right,
1: great yeah. interview. T- uh, thanks so much, Chris. <laughs> Bye. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> that was Chris from I, Native I, Nod. <laughs> made made enough money to pay for our guitar strings one show. You know, forget it. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> then what? So okay, so so I'm walking down the street. Um, I've got a Velocity Girl t-shirt on. And I pass this kid who's got a Shutter to Think Seven Sisters era. Wow. Yeah, t-shirt on. I'm like, whoa, dude. That's a Shutter to Think Seven Sisters era t-shirt. Where'd you get that? He's like, oh, I'm from D.C. I'm like, cool, cool. Well, you know, I'm from, from Jersey. But, you know, I know you D.C. Know, you, bands. You know
1: the Pasta Triangle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Exactly. laughs> Just kidding. Um, that's cool. Again, the t- you, on the street in New York, you're yeah. looking at
2: someone, you actually said something. Because yes. it was out of place. Yes. Walking in the street. Right? So his name was Dave Baum. It turns out uh, his older sister was Jennifer Baum. She was like a scenester in early DC punk. And so she schooled him wow. on all these all the original bands. He was going to shows and he was like 12, you know. Going to the first 930 club yeah. at 12. Like. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just start hanging out. And then we start playing music. And that, so I was playing bass for his band at the time. Ah. Yeah. And eventually that became uh, the Van Pelt. And then, so, with the Van
1: Pelt, how did you... What, what things did you connect on? Like, you kind of talked about Native Nod with those certain influences. What what did you guys all get in the room and be like, we all love this? Okay, or so, it was all different
2: ones? Well, the, uh, dis- Discord was always... Right. It was, it was kind of like... Let's say Discord was the anchor. Um, but mostly, I think the reason... Um, why we loved playing together was not so much about the anchor but was about the, the like our just kind of general fanboyness for music like we were soaking it up we were all in our early 20s soaking everything up um, listening to absolutely everything um, and then you're in the middle we're of in it. the middle of New York there's Kim's records you could just go and and, and pick out anything from some sort of weird uh, you know like an Amundal uh, eight, 8 inch flexi disc to, um, I don't know, to something in Equal Vision, you know, let's say. Like, it could be anything. Yeah, you can,
1: there's like, a, I just remember all the sections and being overwhelmed with, wow, there's three racks for, like, Crot Rock? Yeah, right. Like, right. I thought there was only this many bands, but there, like, there was, I never, I mean, I'm not, like, I don't know every genre, but it was just awesome to feel like, I've never heard of that, and there's someone filing through it, like yes. he, like,
2: uh, like, I loved that about that store. Yep, yep, yep. I remember going, I remember seeing um, My Bloody Valentine, and I was like, they open." okay, so I went to go see Super Chunk and Pavement. Was, how about this for a bill? It was Super Chunk, Pavement, My Bloody Valentine at a wow. bill. Wow, yeah. Where, what, what's venue? This was somewhere in Midtown, I'm not exactly sure where it was, and it was my freshman year of college, and I didn't know who My Bloody Valentine were. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the best band ever. So I go to Kim's, and I bought the wrong quote-unquote album. I didn't get Loveless. I got um, whatever, um, whatever the one right before that was. I forgot. Blanking what it is. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that in. Yeah. Anyhow, I try to return it. I'm like, hey, sorry, I, I wanted to get Loveless. I got um, Isn't Anything. So I got it not Anything. And, and the guy's like, no, you can't return that. And then I bring it back, and I was like, oh, I can't return it. I, I got to listen to this until I like it, you know. And I listened to it a zillion times. Of course, I loved it. Of course. And Kim's was great for that, you know. And then eventually, I learned that, that was a way to kind of work with these with these record stores in New York. Like, just buy it, dude, and listen to it a thousand times. Yeah. And, like, some, so, and you'll find a nugget in there, you know, and 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 pull something from it. Yes. So it was really, really, really good times as far as being like a fan a fan of music in New York. You also had all of these old. You still had the the no wave people hanging on with their no wave clubs, so you could go see Art what, of Lindsay. What were some of those clubs? Um, well, I guess it was it was before um, Tonic was the big one on. I guess it was like Norfolk or something like that. It was this. This was before Tonic, but there were they could these things could still happen anywhere in the way that they could have happened um, in Brooklyn in the nineties. Anywhere, you know. I remember seeing, for example, like, there was a there was a loft in Chinatown that had that had bands play. Um, downtown had a lot of weird places. I guess maybe that's one of the reasons why the knitting factory eventually yeah moved down there because there were weird lofts that would have have like artsy stuff play at, and we would suck it in. We would go to this stuff, um, and but we would still go to matinees and you know at CB's or, or or brownies or anywhere and see whatever touring band was coming through. So it was an awesome. A really awesome time to be sucking in music and then for the van pelt was it
1: for timing was it was it this freshman or sophomore year that you started
2: so it was it was i guess it was i think in any sort of real fashion it was probably sophomore year so freshman year i'm pretty sure i have these days this is a long time ago we're talking 92 93 when we started neil wasn't in the band yet I was on bass, Dave Bowne was on guitar, who played on the first album Barry London was on guitar, who played, in the fir- who played bass on the first album And this girl Ellie Abrams was on drums And we were called Soma, like a thousand other bands that read Aldous Huxley Yes and, uh, and I remember, like two minutes into every song, Ellie would just stop And we're like, what's going on? She's like, I'm bored And we're like, well, we gotta like hash it out She's like, yeah, but this riff is boring me and that, at that point, it was kind of even again, even though Discord was definitely the anchor, um, both culturally and sonically, it, it, we were pulling, we weren't pulling our discord um, sonic elements in so much we were pulling anything else we were currently listening to that week. you know so um, I remember Barry was really into Dick Dale so oh my God, he'd be doing this kind of like surfy guitar.: yeah. and you know and, and Dave would be doing this kind of like Greg Ging guitar, and I was just kind of like trying to, to, to hold my own, you know. And not have my like still pubescent you know voice crack too much, and it was it was a mess, and so Ellie Ellie kind of was like yeah I'm not so into it, and then I remember meeting this guy Neil at at um at John, at a John Hilt show. He happened to be going to SVA. Um, we were all going to NYU, and I was like hey, I'm pretty sure this how it went down. We invited Neil to play, and that was uh we we switched instruments a little bit, but basically that was the form for the first album. Where did you practice? We started out practicing in uh, the basement of an NYU dorm. And then we were practicing in various, um, like, pay-by-the-hour practice spaces. Because that's got to be so crazy. I I was lucky in college, I was in the middle of nowhere at a school,
1: and you rented a storage unit and you shared it with five bands. And I think I made paid $5 a month or something. But, like, to do it in New York, you had to. You know, and there's you know or you find someone that lets you do it in their dorm room or
2: you find a spot and you need to put that money down right oh, no, you totally nailed it because and so and so and we were well aware of this we were like man like because you had it easy in jersey we had it easy in jersey and we knew that people had it easy in columbus had it easy in omaha they were they had all this time all this space they had you know you know they could just kind of so it kind of like drives you a little bit more yes. because of the people around you, the money, the stress, the,
1: I feel like it's an interesting, maybe it's not right for everybody, but it, it, somehow you got to, you got to do shit. You can't Absolutely. just go there and just do covers when you hang out. Oh my God, you
2: you completely, <laughs> you're like, we were on the fucking clock, guys. You, you completely got where we were coming from. Yeah. Like, and then mix in the fact that we were really young and we were, again, we were like, when we weren't outside of New York, we were listening to all this really artsy kind of goes nowhere sort of music, but we were young and, and we were feeling it, you know, and we wanted to, we were like, we love this stuff. We love Gastrodol soul. We love these kind of, um, uh, you know, we love tortoise. We love all these bands that, that just kind of meander. And yeah, but, but man, like the Anthem's not dead. And, and if it wasn't, by the way, if it wasn't, this is kind of a very hard thing to, to imagine. I think if you're for, for kids that weren't growing up then, New York um, was a place for art rock and DJs. There were very, we have very few contemporaries. Obviously, Texas was probably Texas the one of the biggest of our yeah contemporaries. But there were very few other like four guys in a band just kind of trying to belt out anthems. It was mostly weird stuff and DJ, and we felt like it was getting increasingly um, DJ. So we were like, wow, you know, we might be one of the this might be one of the last chances for uh, for for to belt out some anthems before the guitar officially dies. Like, If, I, if you would have told me that like, Brooklyn would be, now be the land of guitar and bands, I, I would never believe it. Do you remember when you heard the word emo? Yes, I do remember it. When? Um, I was in Native Nod, and we were playing at ABC No Rio, and... What year? Uh, this was probably 91, and one of the punks that, that I admired, I think he was in Animal Crackers. With my, my it was one of my older brother's bands, um, and uh, and he's like, "That's a good band name." Yeah, it is a pretty good. Band. <laughs> they were good too. Um, and and he said something like, "Wow, yeah, that was cool. It was very, um, very kind of emotional hardcore." And I could I could tell then I was wise enough already, like to be like, "Hmm," there was a hesitance in his voice there, didn't feel like a compliment, you know. And I really don't understand where he's coming from because isn't this all emotional what's you know what's that mean and so i probably little i was like emotional hardcore i'm sure not at the moment i probably went went home and like waited for the right moment to ask my bigger brother my older brother you know um teddy hey uh, um yeah somebody uh (laughs) i wish you had that
1: conversation (laughs) taped or like somehow like shit i'm gonna ask him now for that story after
2: this (laughs) yeah (laughs) well little brother Let's have a walk. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Uncle Ian. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and I think we talked about Uncle Gee. Uncle Gee, and uh, <laughs> and of course, like I couldn't, I, I couldn't compute. Like, wh- what's people's problem with Gee? Are you kidding me? um
1: why so what did he tell you he said that these records or this is what this came
2: from or he did he's not the most communicative guy with things like that it's more like it's, it's more like learn this deal with this accept this come back yes yeah yeah you'll get it get it on your own you know but yeah he was like you know Rage spring is emotional hardcore you know and then i've got to, and then it left me until still still currently you know being like what the hell does that mean you know obviously it means something because it wouldn't it wouldn't the thread wouldn't exist forever if it didn't mean something yes but articulating what it means is is still the battle right kind of a cool thing since like since music is already something that is kind of beyond articulation and there's this then there's this kind of genre non-genre that refuses to properly be defined um refuses to be either pejorative or positive um you know so it's I mean, always
1: had that like snide joke like yeah. the punk did it maybe so there could be a review tomorrow in a in a magazine online and it'll it'll have it and it will just there's a tinge of like a little joke yes or like a yeah. little snide of like it's not that cool um, and I was talking about this with Norm from Texas the reason we had like an hour long conversation about like sort of that word yeah and like it's derogatory in yeah. some to some people yeah you just say that it's like oh that's emo Right. Um it's dismissive. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like is that the meathead hardcore guy? Not everybody's a meathead, but you know the right. t- typical hardcore kid is that them sort of upset that their scene is now has another genre. Like I couldn't I couldn't figure at the same time you were trying to years later, 5 yeah. or 7, 6 years later, I was trying to figure out what that why was this why was this negative? I I loved post-hardcore. This is a little bit different than that Right. it's like pieces of indie rock. Yeah. And like Punk. It's like it. It felt like it was a nice, right? You know, smattering of all those things I liked. It wasn't just like four on the floor. Like let's just do this. Like punk, right? Or like a like a straight edge hardcore band. Yep. Yep. Did you? Were there other things that happened, or the was the the, instantly was Native Nod said okay, that's an emo band. Did you guys not think that? Or same thing with Pelt?
2: Well. we we got it tossed us maybe a little more with with native nod, but we were we were still very punk. We were still playing at ABC um, often, so it was still we still kind of aired more on the punk side of things. And then with the Pelt, we kind of aired sometimes also on the indie rock side of things. So for better and for worse, we never not, neither band really ever got officially slapped with the tag. But we were of course in that bubble because you were playing with those bands and you were friends with all of them yes yes and we liked a lot of the same music they did too that brings me to kind of one one of the one of the major reasons why um we like we we would always do the diy circuit if if we had the choice rather than the indie rock circuit um and just doing that circuit whether you sonically sound like other emo bands or not you're you're in their world and therefore you know you're emo at least to some in some people's eyes um but uh in the DIY circuit there was always a feeling like wow I might never see this band that I'm gonna see right now ever again they, maybe they're not the best band in the world maybe they have really cool moments maybe they are the best band in the world but the point is it was of the moment you were there you are having an awesome time whereas in the indie rock circuit which which you know people that feel bad about getting slapped with, with emo should remember like every genre it doesn't feel good if, you're, if you consider yourself an artist it doesn't feel good to get slapped with a genre we're a rock band right if someone was <laughs> If someone was like, yeah, you guys were like a 90s indie rock band, I'd be like, can you please call us Emo? <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, when you would go to those shows, they were, it was all built around um, promotion and getting you to the next stage. And it wasn't about the moment. And music is about the moment. Music is Community. about... Uh, I, I walk into a show, I'm feeling, I'm feeling super awesome about my life. I watch this bummer of a band and now I hate my life. Or vice versa. It's about you know, completely taking control irrationally of your emotions. And the indie rock circuit was like, okay, these guys are going to be huge. We're going to put them in this venue for, for, uh, that fits 50 people, this tour. Then they're going to open for this band. They're going to be playing to 200 people. And blah, 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 blah. We're going to climb the ladder. And it was just not in the present. It's, that's not what music is about for me. I'd rather see terrible bands that, that maybe won't exist tomorrow. You know, The opposite, completely about this punk house in Columbus or something.
1: I haven't thought about it like that. I've done a hundred of these things. no one like i that totally is now clear that sort of indie rock circuit, yes, certain ones were there was a certain maybe there was a, a basement for the indie rock there was, but I wanted that d i y thing yeah. I wanted to see frail or yes. four hundred years because it, it, there was the food not bombs thing or there was the person doing distro or there was someone that was selling you know they like shirt that did whatever it was like it felt more like i was connected to where i was versus this thing's coming through town and leaving tomorrow
2: yes yes almost to a fault like if if you saw 400 years and they and they blow your mind which they did they were an amazing band and then like a couple years later you hear they're coming through town again you're like oh really are they still playing i thought they were an explosion you know and i thought the explosion was gonna uh, you know shatter and maybe create other bands you know um i shouldn't really probably be saying this since we're doing a reunion show (laughs) what other things did
1: were happening with the van pelt um i mean you guys were around for a minute like four years or so that first run it was probably about four years yeah you're right so what was what did you notice anything as like the 90s were sort of ending and beginning like were there any things were like uh, our time's up
2: you know, or like this is changing, or this, um, the city because the city it's it it's turning over. The There's city a- was changing, yeah. Um, but being again, being young, like yes, we thought our time was up. We thought this actually, again, the, going back to the double edged sword of, of things exploding. I think we thought that we exploded a little sooner than we should have. So we cu- we pulled the plug, um, and in retrospect,
1: the I you pulled I it right at the wrong didn't. time.
2: Yeah, you know, but the the difference between us. Uh, making the first album and the second album is also dras- drastic. So when we were making the first album, again, we were like, we really wanted, we had a lot of, we still had a lot of angst, and we wanted to 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 bang out some some anthems. Um, it was at the, it was at the time when Nirvana had broken, and there were still A&R guys that were signing bands everywhere for five hundred to like two million five hundred thousand two two million dollar deals, and they were on us. You know, they were really oh, oh my god, they were on us. What like, year was this? The late nineties. This is mid nineties. Mid nineties. They were like, can we take you out to dinner? Can we do? And and you know, Did we you were you like, let them know they're the Van Pelt. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, you know, I I went out to one. Um, a uh, and R meal ever, and it was uh, a, an immediate breakup meal at a diner. Like all the all these con- contemporary bands in New York were like, yeah, you know, we're taking them for what they're worth. We're going to like um, this fancy restaurant. We're going to go these drinks. We're going to like you know just milk them. And and we were like, we don't we don't want to be on on one of these major labels. We maybe maybe I shouldn't say we. Maybe I should just say I don't want to I don't want to blame the rest of the band for this. But I I. I I saw some chess moves happening that – I thought I saw some chess moves happening that didn't happen. So in my mind, I was – again, I was in my early 20s and filled with hope and angst. And everybody's looking for the next Nirvana. Who would have ever believed Nirvana would be on the radio, period? If you look oh, through yeah. those times, like, who would have ever believed that? So now they're on the radio. Now all these major labels are scrambling to find the next Nirvanas. And they're kind of failing, Right, they're signing all these bands. What
1: other bands in New York were kind of getting picked up at the time?
2: um, Oh, I mean, I think Caroline Records signed a ton of duds. All these like Relativity Records signed a ton of duds. Like all these bands are just really like just forgotten, completely forgotten, one and done, useless. Yeah, and we 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 were we were astute enough to witness that. We're like, if we sign and we fail, then we're going to be one of these CDs in a used bin, and no one will ever touch us again. Because we signed to some crappy imprint on a a major label, A. But B, we were optimistic enough to be like, if Nirvana is signing to a major, then maybe the whole system's about to crumble. And maybe bands like the Van Pelt can stay on Gern Blanston, grow with Gern Blanston, and get played on major radio. You know, maybe we're about to witness the complete collapse of the corporate. Music world this is like a, a neuronic getting on is a crack in the system, but as as that fissure grows, maybe we 're about to live in like the halcyon days of 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 braid being played on z one hundred you know and anything right next to um, i don 't know like uh, i don 't know what the, the regular radio bands of the time were, but let 's just say. Um, Taylor Swift you know what, yeah, the, the whatever equipment. that was yeah, you know, like, CNC like, Music Factory CNC Music Factory yeah like anything absolutely we might be waiting for we might be on the on the cusp of anything going let's hold out this could be amazing so I really truly believed that we may have had a shot of living off of this um, while sticking to our guns on Gern of course like looking back I can't believe I believe these things but I believed it I believe it right now so yes <laughs> right, right now. he's actually doing a sermon now <laughs> Then came, um, we kind of all graduated from university at the same time. Um, it only, you know, when you're young, like a year feels like an eternity and, uh, the tides turned and the next nirvanas never really came, at least not the way we thought they were going to come. And, um, and there was this massive snowstorm in New York. The snowstorm of 96. Basically shut down the city. It was like six feet uh, of snow everywhere. It was really beautiful. We had all just kind of graduated or were graduating from college and, and facing the stark reality that uh, our art degrees and like for me an education degree like we weren't really going to work out the way we hoped they would. Um, and... And we were, we were changing a lot of members in the band And people coming and going And joining other bands or moving out of the city And it was a bummer of a time And so we made this bummer of a record We were just kind of like The like, third one The second record the second record, oh, the second was, record. Uh, Sultans Yeah We were like, you know We regrouped um, And we were just like Let's put out this stinker And fucking just be bummed and, I like that record. Yeah, me too. In fact, I love that record. That became our, our best-selling record. That was a record that people uh, remembered us for. All of a sudden... Those like, first two songs, like, back-to-back, back, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, that's, that's it. amazing. <laughs> right on. <laughs> right on. Brought it because, honestly, with those songs, to t- t- be brutally honest, um, we were changing members uh, all the time. And in the first... On the first album, I had Dave Baum, the guitar player, to lean on. He was the, the sickest. I mean, he laid down these licks, and he could play these licks uh, with his guitar over his head out looking, without looking at his guitar. And people would be like, coming to me after the show, they'd be like, man, you're an amazing guitar player. I'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it must have just been you playing guitar, because the other guy, his guitar was over his head the whole time. I was like, no, that's Dave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not quite, but thank you. Yeah, so, and so then... Me and Neil regrouped as a three-piece once, and that was when I really realized, like, oh, my God, i got to learn how to play this instrument a little better. And in the process of learning how to play it better, um, I lucked out with some really good gear. I had this Ampeg Gemini 2 amp... in The early '70s, and I had this um, Japanese Fender Strat from right when the Japanese started making Strats. It was like '80, 80, '81, wow. something like that. And when they first came out of the gates with Strats, they had to prove to the world that they could do it. You know, so the first couple of years of Strats they made were fantastic. But I didn't know anything. I really just got lucky with both of these things. So when I would plug my guitar into this amp, the less I would play, the more beautiful it would sound. And I wasn't a great guitar player yet. So I was kind of like, all right, let's just go, let's let's focus on what not to play and just get some beautiful sounds out. And me and Neil started jamming on those and Brian and Sean, who, Brian um, and Sean both play, Brian played guitar, Sean played bass on the second album. We're in a band called Cathode Ray and they had kind of already mastered this what not to play more than what to play style of music. And so we started playing with them as well, and then the whole thing really congealed. And we st- still kind of uh, a constant dialogue we have when we get back together, like, "Hey, let's think about what not to play." Yeah, you know. And
1: then so that the, the second record, what were there different reactions? Were the reviews
2: better? Like, was it? What were some of the? Do you yeah. remember that time? Yeah, people loved us. We were like, Are you crazy? This was like, this is a bummer. This is so depressing. Nothing's happening. There's no verses. There's no courses. Are you people crazy? You know? I'm all in. And like, yeah, people were all in. We're like we're like, you guys suck. You live a life of misery just like us, you know? And then and then the other the other great thing about that album is that it tapped us in with other with um and this is I've kind of taken this with me through life too. It tapped us in with people that um that listened to music like that that we hadn't heard yet. So we would tour um, in Europe, we tour in the UK, and we tour you know, across the States, and people would be like, oh, you guys must be listening to a lot of um, blue aeroplanes. And we'd be like, um, yeah, totally. And we'd be like, "Oh, are the blue airplanes, <laughs> you know? Let's go buy a blue airplanes record. You know? And we buy our blue airplanes, record and be like, "Wow, this band's awesome, you know? Or you must be listening to a lot of Bedhead." And we'd be like, oh, I don't know who they are, you know?" And they'd be like, "Oh, wow, they're great." And we realize, you know, and or like the Fall was one that we we would get a lot. Like you sound like a, a slowed down Fall. Wow. Or a slowed down Minutemen. Obviously, we knew who the Minutemen were, but it it interesting. Like people kind of were picking up these influences that weren't there that then became influences um in later later i love that i know pretty cool right and but that regional nature
1: of someone not exposed to everything and it wasn't like you and i have on our phones we have every song possible yes and uh, i mean my record store in vermont was very small there's only so many records there's only so many things i could order online and get i only had a limited knowledge so my association could have been a local band of oh wow that sounds like the local band right. blah 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 right, or right. that one record and it, it might be a a, a a record label that only is distributed in the south or something yeah and you're I kind of liked that regional nature yes. of it yeah it was great and for you guys to learn about like finding out about those bands and then going to the store and getting it yep yeah that was great That's almost like it was like again it's so easy now a kid tells you that you're going to forget the Spotify link or you're not going to look at your phone and you forget but that it was those moments where you'd go and
2: get it and have to listen to it because yes. you paid money yep and i am i'm definitely guilty of when music started moving away from tactile um i was all for it you know i was i was all like you know well music is 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 sonic it's not tactile great let's move into the digital world and now i'm real as i get older i realize you know that the senses are all connected no sense is pure there's no there you know, every sense overlaps with other with other senses, and sometimes they can they can impede each other, but often they help each other and they reinforce each other. So having something tactile um, could only actually now I realize it just reinforces the oral uh, you know specialness of it.
1: Yeah. Um, and then for you guys getting back together, what was the what was the uh, reasonings behind that? You guys had done a few things over the years, right? You've all
2: stayed in touch and done things. I think
1: well, twenty fourteen might have been the last thing.
2: Yeah, it was the first time we got back in touch was um, was in two thousand nine when our friend Courtney, who used to book emos, speaking of the word in Austin, um, was putting together a nineties um, showcase at South by Southwest. Amazing, yeah. And she was like, "Hey, can you guys come play?" and and I was like, huh, that, yeah, that could be great. Let me, let me get in touch with these guys. And and Sean and Brian now live in Massachusetts and me and Neil live in Jersey. Um, he lives in Asbury Park, down the shore. I live up here in Jersey City. Um, and we made it work and we, we booked some shows around it. And we did like DC, Philly, New York, Austin. Um, and it was really fun, but uh, it was still kind of a question mark. We're like, we, why are we doing this? Um, do we have axes to bury? You know, nothing, there was nothing really ever, and there were no ever any major axes, but just kind of a general sense of like, maybe we need to kind yeah. of all get back on the same page. Um, uh, how do we feel about music? There's, there's so many question marks in, uh, during that, during 2009 for me, that it was cool for that reason alone. I remember, like, just kind of. Facing these these um, these questions, so we were good, sometimes great, but mostly just good. And between each other, uh, n- musically, oh, musically, no, between each other was great. Oh, okay, I, like, <laughs> it kind of no, that was an, it needed to happen musically. I felt like it was just good, sometimes rarely, sometimes great, but yeah. just good. And then um, this record label from Spain, La Castaña, from from Barcelona, um, asked to put out our unreleased third album that we were working on when we broke up. And when they did that, we got uh, an offer from an All Tomorrow's Parties. Sh- um, wow! Yeah, show called Jabberwocky. It was um, where was that? Jabberwocky was supposed to happen on the outskirts of London. Yes, and this was in 2012. And they were like, um, "Hey, is there any way to get the Vampel?" to To play this festival, we'll pay you guys five thousand pounds, which was you know that might as well have been a million bucks for the Van Pelt. You That's know? your comp, but yeah, we've never that was, and we're like with five thousand pounds, we could probably fly everybody over there, pay all of our expenses, um, but we, but you know, we we need to play a couple shows in order to be good. We can't just go there and play this one show. So I was like, I got this friend who has a studio in Ferrara, in Italy why don't we all fly to, to, to Venice, which is near Ferrara, then we'll we'd, we'd rehearse at his his um, studio-slash-farm well, for a couple days. We'll play like, a secret show in his garden to get ready, play a couple shows in Italy um, for fun, we'll play this show in London to make the money, and then we'll play a couple festivals in Spain just to kind of roll, roll it out. Um, and we did that, and that's when all of a sudden we were really good again. Like, in fact, we in some ways we were we were some of the songs we played better than we've ever played them. I think they sat better. There, there was nothing. There was no reason to play them for other than for ourselves. You know, so there's no jitters. Like we didn't have yeah. any jitters. You know, they, we didn't overthink it. So we were in the pocket a lot more. My voice didn't crack anymore. You know, sometimes I guess the the pubescent cracking voice can can be beneficial, but sometimes not so much. Um, so that sonically that was great. Um, the festival, incidentally, the festival in London never happened. It, they, they ran out of funding. They canceled the festival um, a couple days before we got there. Oh, my God. And we're like, this is so vampelt. Pelt. This money that was promised to us is not going to happen, <laughs> yet we have tickets to go to the U.K. You know if you're in the U.K. without uh, any source of money, it's just like delete on your bank account. Oh, yeah, you're done. Yes. So we worked it out. We played a couple pub shows, which is actually befits us so much more. You know, And they were so much fun. We got to see all these old friends from the UK that we hadn't seen in in ages. Um, And and so we wrapped that tour up kind of feeling like a sonic success. Yeah. However, um, tinkering with these old songs at Soundcheck, like relearning them, it was hard to not tinker with new songs. It's really hard to not write songs with these guys, especially when the M.O. is always the non-song. The what not to play you know it's kind of keeping it minimal things can start from that can start from nowhere right they just kind of boom pop up you've got a couple little things happening and it's a van Pelt song um so but we knew that we ha- that we had to focus and make these old songs sound good so we never really got to pay attention to them so then la Castagne was like okay that was so, so much fun let's remaster and re-release your two records which haven't been available forever um and so that happened finally this year. Amazing. Yeah, and we're like, okay, um, let's let's play these sh- a couple shows, a few some shows to to promote this record, but let's k- kind of give breathe some life into these things we were tinkering with, um, and see where we are musically um, with each other. And so so we haven't had a lot of times write new songs, but we have we have maybe half an album, kind of you know little pieces here and there mm-hmm. that hopefully will will flesh out over the next year. So, I mean, how does that feel to have this
1: band continue, but then you're almost feeling better as older than younger? Like um, feeling better with everybody and musically and how you're doing it and maybe being not smarter about it, but it's almost like you're, you're a kid now but older about the band because there's no, there's no, like, you're just going to do it.
2: Right, right. There's nothing, there's nothing to lose at this point. And Which it's- is what
1: you do as a kid. What's, you know you're
2: like i'm just gonna play music right it's just kind of in the mid-20s when you're like okay oh well, like, I, I have rent i have this yes shit, i have all this
1: other stuff going on I'm
2: starting to get real everybody else is getting real jobs but i'm a musician i'm seeing this through and 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 anyhow it's it's there's not really an option if you're a musician or if you're an artist you know like it, you can frame it like there is oh i can go get a job in wall street i can go get a, a legit job but you can't you know you are what you are you can't do that anyhow um So it feels great because and in the 2012 tour, it kind of felt like, um, at least for me, I don't know for the rest of the band, but it kind of felt like I was covering songs by this really cool band from 20 years ago, from 15 years ago, whatever like that. I really like this band, you know? Like, these kind of cool young kids, like, throwing a bunch of stuff out, like, a a lot of it's... um, uh, is maybe a little silly in retrospect, but it's still coming from a good source, and and I, I felt like a covering band, a cover band, even though we're playing our own songs. So then, fast forward to now, um, it almost feels feels like um, like fan fiction, like if you can, you know, uh, I don't know, finish a, I don't know, it happens a lot of time, like finish a, Jar- write another J.R. Tolkien book, you yeah. know, as a super fan. So now I feel like a super fan of the Van Pelt, imagining what they would write music like now if they were in their in their 40s but we are actually those people as well you know so it's a combination of that must feel great yeah like being a witness and a and a contributor at the same time um but being able to you're healthy you've got you still stay in touch
1: you're able to like those kind of things i think you appreciate later than in the mid-20s when you're kind of like all kind of doing your own thing but you sort of circle back and say all right what's important right like coming together, doing this, making an app, and I think there's something about it that comes out that's different. That I think maybe it's more mature, but it's still you guys. It's still yep. you in that same room making
2: that music. Yeah, absolutely. It, that kind of reminds me of um, you know, so many people in the world of music have these friends that they see maybe once or twice a year. If you go to, uh, you know, if you go if you play a show in, um, you know. Uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Chicago, Chicago, let's say go see Bob. Right. And, and you're like, Hey, you know, but I, I, I don't hang out with this guy every day. Like people from that small town X, they grew up with each other. They have these really tight relationships. They know the in and outs of each other. Um, do they probably think I lead this really, um, vacuous life of friends that I don't have deep conversation with that you just see once or twice a year, but, and that's an option that, that some musicians can have, but the other the other truth of it is that we're also kind of tapped into this spark this connection in the same way that like you know um love is maybe in a more bromancey sort of way you you connect with people and it doesn't you don't have to know what they had for breakfast today and for the last 10 years of your life but you're very well aware of these kind of deep irrational connections you have with people um even if you rarely see them and now that I've, I've been playing in bands for, I don't know, 25 years or so, um, it, it's the same way for me when I think about various lineups. You know, there's some lineups that just, there's this spark, you know, that, that aren't like other lineups. And this lineup with the Van Pelt is like that for me. You know, I, we, there is a certain voice, there's a certain, um, like, fifth element that larger than the four of us have in this band. Um, and I love revisiting that. Did you think that the the band or the your previous, you know, if it was native nod or would
1: be connected to the word emo or that scene. And that's also double-edged where you sometimes don't want to be connected to something, but then it's great
2: to be remembered and connected to it. Right. It's the, it's the double edge. I feel like, I feel like with, with both native nod and the Vampel, we kind of, we fall on the, the, the more forgiving fortunate side of that double edge. So for example, when i see like list of the 10 or of the 20 top emo bands anytime i see something like that i hold my breath i'm like oh my god oh my god i hope we're not on that list because not even take emo out of it like list of the top 20 x genre of bands as a as an artist you don't want to be pigeonholed you know you don't want to be you want to be bigger than any given genre but on the on the flip side if we're not included in this piece of history with that word attached to it, I also feel dissed. I was, someone was asking me that, someone mentioning uh, uh, this to me the other day. They are like, you know, I think one of the things that makes Van Pelt different from bands of that era is that you guys really weren't emotive at all. Like, I don't, I listen to your songs and you just kind of seem like you're laying it out, um, the kind of pretty dry. And I was, I, I was, I was, I was crushed. And I, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God. Don't listen to that person. <laughs> I, you know, I was like, to me it was, it was super emotive. I was like, Call, you know, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. I'm, I really wish that guy, I'd, I'd rather him have called me emo right now than say that I was, I was, you know, cold hearted. Um. So you want to be included, but you don't want to be a quintessence. This is the kind the of The genre
1: is like two magnets. Like you can't get them together. No. And they're just always going to go there's going to be varying levels of like but you can't get them together. Right.
2: Right. And and again, like like we could have been we could have been one of these like um sub pop bands. Yeah. Or like, you know, some sort of like the 500th release on Homestead Records that no one ever remembers, but they were an indie rock band from the early 90s and they got like, a- that's that part thing. It's like, you, did you want to... Did you... Yeah, you did you want to be that release on
1: Sub Pop that no one paid attention to? Yes. Or do you, were you part of a community and those bands and friends and people that were still... There's, there's something to that. And I think the... Not just indie rock, but like other genres, you sort of just get forgotten about. And to be remembered... Yeah. Like that's, I think... I don't know I think there's weight to it and I think for these bands to still be mentioned remembered even how small yep you know Christie Front Drive didn't do that big of a they did a few shows uh, certain bands you know cro- like Promise Rings come back once or twice like it hasn't been like giant moments but it, it's still somehow connected
2: right yeah yeah there's a there and there's a connection there I mean like I guess the way we began this, like, there's definitely a connection. Um, between all of it, probably even up to current emo, if we want, if we want to be honest, I'm not. I, but the fact that we can't articulate what that is it, is as interesting as it is frustrating. I moved out to Williamsburg reluctantly in '96. I was like, you know, I, I was priced out of uh, out of the East Village. I was like, oh man, where can I go? And people were like, "There's Williamsburg. There's this train yeah, it goes was, right over." <laughs> I was, and I'd already been out there to a couple parties, like in the in the early '90s, and I hated it. Like uh, there was like there were it was more like like crust punky like what they might call like steampunk kind of thing now and bad art like industrial like machines making like art and um like scary dogs and and you know guys with like you know just eh, you know modern primitive sort of stuff i wasn't into williamsburg then so when i when i when i had to go there in 96 i was like oh this is gonna this is gonna blow and mm. it was amazing because all of these people used to their little um you know tiny spaces in manhattan all of a sudden have these huge lofts. Lofts and yeah. they don't know what to do with it. So it was like the, the age of great, great parties. And I left Williamsburg in 99 thinking that it was dead. I was like, that's it. <laughs> There's three bars here now. I'm it's out. over. Yeah, yeah go yeah. back We're, now. Where's it going to go from here? You <laughs> know? Whole Foods. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Urban who, Outfitters. Who, I mean, I, I, mean, I should have known. I saw, I, saw, I saw it happen in Soho. I couldn't ever imagine what happened in Brooklyn. Because to me, Brooklyn was the equivalent of New Jersey. Oh, you cross a river that way, you got provincialism. You cross a river this way, you got provincialism. <laughs> but New Jersey, same thing, you know? Now it's tinkering with hap- happening here in New Jersey. Your music life has had New York, and you've
1: seen so many different things through it. And, I mean, 90% of the venues we've talked about are no longer there. They're gone. There. Yeah. They're gone yeah. So it's that same moment of you have to go. You, needed to, you need to go do that. Um, because it might not be there tomorrow yeah you like that restaurant i'd go because in a year it's probably gone they got priced out of the land or you like that venue it's gone uh you know if north six or whatever it turns into or uh, uh, anything uh go and i i i kind of like that feeling of there's always something to do there's always something to go but making those choices and going and seeing a band that might not be there next week is more exciting i think
2: oh yeah oh absolutely
1: yeah. And I think for you guys, you know, your family, you guys growing to shows and sort of being in those moments, you've sort of learned that that's what you need to do. And even now for you guys being together, like you're in this moment might not be
2: next week. Right. It's not about. Yeah, exactly. It's about right now. And that and that's it. So I I laid down my guitar and stopped writing lyrics in two two 2008. And I was like, that's it i had a long run but no one wants to hear what i have to do anymore and i'm not gonna i'm not the kind of musician that wants to just play for myself that was cool um let's move on to the next stage in life um then we I, you know we had those reunion shows but they weren't creative you know they were it was about you know just kind of relearning these old songs um i was i was still tinkering with writing a little bit but not so much for lyrics more just poems or, or prose and um but I had this idea in the back of my head that as I got older, I, I would want to kind of revisit music, just take a long break from it. And what I was hoping was that if I take a break from music, from playing, from, from playing music, I'll become a better appreciator of music. I'll start. I'll get back to my fanboy roots and just start taking it all in again, right? So when I quit um, making music in 2008, it did work out that way. So, so like the, the year following me making music, I had this great... Um, This great year of like sucking it all in again. Hey, sorry, it's got bit by a bug that I thought was cute. I let him bite me. All right, Um, but yeah. So now he's playing dead. This bug. Um, So I had this year where I was like, I was like, great, I'm a fanboy again. Like, I'm like really learning all about music, and then I noticed that like for me playing. And appreciating music, it was kind of the same muscle, and that muscle atrophied since I wasn't playing. And the next thing I knew, I didn't, I didn't listen. I'd pick up like one or two bands a year for like five, six years straight. People would be like, "Hey, what do you listen to?" I'd be like, "Oh, I don't know, that same Can record I was listening to twenty years ago." You know. Um, Then who I just learned about last week, by the way. Oh, nice. There we go. All right, so it happens like that sometimes. (laughs) And so then with this. Um, again, thanks to these Van Pelt reunions and thanks to finally um, feeling right to tinker with new music again um, that muscle has started to grow and I'm, I'm learning a lot about new bands, old bands I'm, I'm, I'm seeking out new music again and I'm writing new music. I think I have polyps maybe My, I don't think it's just my my vocal range is not that I was really ever a singer of any sort, but even even with just being a talker, I have a lot less room and I lose my voice easily. I've also heard that um, there's a theory that tinnitus um, is exacerbated by polyps that it puts some pressure uh, on just all the cords that connect everything up in this part of the body, and I have bad tinnitus. So the point is. I had this idea that once I got back into making music later in life, I would be more of a crooner. I want to now. I want to try to start to sing and use, but still kind of be very wordy. Um, but I can't. So I'm going to. I'm an Italian citizen as well at this point. Um, my wife's Italian, and we both got dual citizenship. I'm going to go to a doctor there this summer take, because it costs nothing there if you're a citizen, and have a look down my throat, and if he sees polyps, I'm hoping to kind of kill two birds with one stone, get them removed, maybe I'll be able to croon, see how that goes, and maybe it'll help my t- attention. a little bit. So we'll see. But, but also, go, getting back to when I, when I write with the Van Pelt feeling a little bit like this mix between um, witness and creator, I, I, I really want to write another Van Pelt album. I also might want to do some other musical things too, with or without those guys. Um, maybe a mix of everything, you know. But definitely um, that kind of, that kind of, um, the Van Pelt has, has a soul unto itself, and I want to see what that is. I want to explore that some more too. Well, my oh, co- my terrible dog is here. That might be a, uh, no, you're fine. a no, sign to wrap timing. it up.
1: Perfect timing. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming out.